Hey friends, my name is Yaro, and you're listening to the Daydreaming Rose podcast. This episode is really beautiful and special because I'm interviewing Otto, who's written the book Margins and Memorations. Oh my god, I'm so glad I didn't get that wrong. Um, yeah, it's a really, really great book that has deeply inspired me, and we talked about the creative process, about what it's like to create um, really positive representation for marginalized identities and what it's like to self-publish and work with communities to fund creative projects. So yeah, um, enjoy. I'm really excited to share and I would love to hear what you think and I really, really recommend that you check Otto's book out, which is uh, linked to in the show notes. A small update from me, I'm celebrating three years in business this week and I'm sorry that this episode is a little bit late. It's really nice to take a pause and reflect a little bit. I will definitely write a longer blog post about that um, and share it over on my other site, sarahmagdalenalove.com. Um, so sign up for my newsletter if you would like to receive that once it's out. Otherwise, um, the, the Patreon that I'm running is growing. Um, you can find that at patreon.com slash sarahmagdalenalove. I shared um, some beautiful recipes this month under the theme release. Since we're heading into spring, I talked about creating dream oils and I shared a really cool tarot spread. So yeah, if you enjoy the podcast, I would really appreciate your support and you're going to receive a monthly ritual kit in return. So um, yeah, I will stop here <laughs> and I really hope you enjoy the show. Bye. Hey everyone, I have the incredible honor of having Otta Lieb on the show today. So she is a working class femme, a trans woman who makes a living as an author and a holistic body worker and she's written an incredible book um, called Margins and Memorations. I knew I would get this wrong, oh no. <laughs> um, anyway, this book has been recommended to me by several friends and I am almost done with it and it's been such an honor. Yeah, it's just been incredible to read. I really had come to a point where I noticed had written, uh, I've read so many different um, like self-help or like herbal books that were very uh, non-fiction and I was really craving something that would just like take me away to a different place and um, just really tickle my imagination and my dreams for the future and that's what this book did for me. I took it along on a holiday to Morocco recently with my friend who read it with me at the same time so we were like in bed looking at each other being like oh my god have you gotten to that <laughs> to that bit yet which was really cool so yeah I'm really excited to have Otto on the show today. I want to ask her about the creative uh, process of writing the book um, which I think is interesting to everyone, but it's particularly interesting to me because I'm also writing a book. And I would also love to uh, talk a bit about body work and everything else. Yeah. Hi, welcome to the show. If you like, you can introduce yourself as well. That was a perfect introduction. Um, <laughs> yeah. First of all, apologies for the title. I understand that it's a really difficult thing to say. <laughs> It's, um, it took ages to work out the title of the book, in fact, and I changed it many times, but there was something in murmuration, which obviously is really difficult to say, but it's such a sticky and unusual word, and yeah, and I really adore the murmurations and the styling, so that's why that happened. Yeah, and I think the book cover is really, really beautiful as well. It makes a lot of sense to me, especially having now read all of almost all of it. 
Yeah. Um, I always like to start interviews or conversations with the question where you are in the world right now and what nature is like around you. So maybe you can share a bit about that. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. It's, um, I'm in Brussels in Belgium, mm -hmm. um, experiencing my first winter, first proper European winter in about 20 years. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not quite suffering, but I definitely miss the sun a little bit. We had the second darkest December in 200 years or something and 10 entire hours of sunlight. And it's, uh, hmm, that is interesting. It's something new for me. I'm usually in Thailand or, or somewhere in the Southern Hemisphere in the winter. I try to escape it as much as possible. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, and talking of nature, I've been walking a lot this week just in the parks and just getting out the house and it seems like we're in this strange wave in Brussels particularly in my neighborhoods where a lot of the green spaces that are left and there's not many uh, it's not a very green city anyway a lot of the spaces like um, like squatted community gardens and uh, just random bits of green space there's a, quite a lot of destruction there's quite a lot of um, new constructions and gentrification and it, it seems to be like in this wave just like all the places that I love very dearly are, are getting gutted so that it feels um, like a difficult moment but what I have noticed is that there's been a very very small increase in the starlings um, a murmuration for people who don't know is a group of starlings like you have in Brighton like it used to be the second largest in the country for example um, the ones we have in Brussels are about 10. I don't know if it's even classes as a murmuration, but they're still very amazing. <laughs> and I just sit there for an hour just listening to them because they're so, yeah, um, incredibly beautiful. Mm, that's amazing. Cool. Um, so I've already touched on your book a little bit. And yeah, I just want to say again, it's so cool. If anyone hasn't read it yet, they should totally check it out. But can you tell us a little bit more about how that came to be because it's so radical and so beautiful so i would just love to know like how did the the seed uh come into your head how did it come to be how did you decide on the way you were publishing it i would love to know all of that yeah um it was a funny process and now i'm in like deep deep into the second book and the process is so different uh with margins i really didn't know that it was a book i didn't know that I was, it was even a project. I started just more than anything writing as a kind of therapy. Just, I was really feeling this desperation to see characters like me who shared my intersections. Um, I just never do see those. And I really wanted to kind of just write a few stories and see what that felt like. I had like dreams and images and things that I wanted to put down. And I showed it to a friend or read it to a friend and she was like, yeah, that's good. Where's the rest of the book? <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, but maybe a trilogy, maybe, you know, maybe this is a whole series. Maybe this is your new career. I'm like, no, 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 stop, stop. What are you talking about? But um, yeah, somehow that did happen. And, um, or at least it turned into a book. Let's, let's see if it turns into an entire se series and career. But there's something, it's an, that was just, the whole process was interesting. As a working class person as a trans woman i'm not supposed to write books it's just not a thing that's supposed to happen that's not really in my uh in my cards let's say and so it's been just this kind of push against some of those internalized messages like i think if i 
had different intersections, I would just go into it confidently, like I should write books because people like me write books. And, but a little bit, the whole point is that people like me don't. And so that's made it much more difficult. It's very precarious. It's very, I had to self-publish because who would publish something like that? Um, and I just don't have a publishing company. Right. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> we can work on that. There's, a, there's, a, there's some projects in the air. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a funny process. And actually, like I wrote recently um, an article for my blog and it kind of explored a little bit what that precarity has meant for margins and in a way because it's so grassroots it's people meeting people and passing on a copy here and there that has actually like spawned lots of new projects and new connections and new networks um all over the world and that in a way feels more amazing than if i just instantly had uh, i don't know connections that i could have pulled in the publishing industry or ten thousand contacts or something i mean i really i you know, opened a Facebook account just to like uh, start connecting with people. The whole thing is all super, super new. I just I kind of like, yeah, came out into the world suddenly because I had to promote my baby. And um, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a funny process. Yeah, I can imagine. What was writing it like day to day and how long did it take you in total? Because it's quite like a, it's a chunky book. It's very rich. Hmm. Um, I think about six months and the second book has taken about three months. Oh, so wow. apparently I'm getting faster, which I don't know is a good thing. Uh, it's a strange thing with the second book, which is kind of a sequel, kind of a companion. Obviously time travel is one of the main themes. So sequels and prequels, it doesn't, it's not so simple. It's not so linear, but, um, the second book, let's call it is, uh, yeah, it's a totally different process. It's called conserve and control. And this process of knowing that it's a book and knowing that I can write a book because I did totally changed everything. I'm writing for other people from the beginning. It's not nice random stories that I don't really care about because they're only for me. I care about them, but like I, they don't need to be perfectly accessible or something, or I don't need to explain my terms or something. And suddenly I'm starting from the beginning writing for other people and it's very different. And in a way it's much easier with margins. It was, yes, it was only six months, but it was, they were long months in a way of putting all those stories together. Cause there were so many like just images and dreams and visions and, yeah. and thoughts and like, um, yeah, political aspirations. And then I was like, Oh, now I need to make this into a story that makes some sense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's a lot in there. Yeah. I really loved, yeah, exactly what you said about introducing concepts. I felt that I was, um, kind of meeting meeting queer and trans concepts again in a different way and through these different char characters had the chance to look at it very much from a more intergenerational point of view I think that's been really valuable for me and to yeah reconsider the concept of time and what what are we leaving for the next generations and how are we honoring what's behind us and how we're moving forward and being in the moment at the same time. It's quite, it's quite a magical process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we already touched on this a little bit, but um, trans feminism and sex work and, and time travel 
and I want to say time travel in a very grounded way <laughs> is a really big, these are really big themes in the first book. Are they going to continue in the second one or should people be open to be totally surprised? <laughs> uh, yes and yes. They definitely, okay. uh, <laughs> those themes are definitely still there. Mm -hmm. um, sex work is in a slightly different format let's say. Um, there's a lot of financial domination, which is a different part of sex work than what I talk about in margins. And uh, transfeminism for sure is in there. Time travel, there's a lot of time travel. And uh, yeah, it's, it was a difficult decision for me to, yeah, so on the front cover, it's transfeminism, sex work, time travel. And time travel was a difficult one for me to put because it makes me think so much of science fiction rather than speculative fiction kind of cis white men with their robots and aliens and um which is all good but in a way that's it's not what i'm doing and in a way it's not even time travel it's post-traumatic stress and mm -hmm. it's something it was a difficult one for me to to name it in a way to just uh, reduce it down to this one term but um people work it out when they read it anyway so yeah. yeah but it is it is fun to play with it and this was definitely one of those moments during the process with margins was realizing that i could actually just do what i wanted i think there were definitely some moments where i was like oh no now now i'm writing for other people oh now i need to be like i have to have responsibility and it became it really became work it really became like raising my baby well or something and then there were some points where i was just like well actually i could also just have fun i mean that's the point of speculative fiction as well i can like do what i want to do with this so then i started writing some scenes that were a bit more spicy or a bit more um I don't know, personally gratifying because I could. And I was like, okay, this is great. And also people will read it. And also I get to like say what I want to say. And I've got, a, I'm making myself a platform, which, yeah. Uh, yeah, as someone who always existed very much like in the shadows or something, having a platform through the articles on the blog, through writing books, through um, the, yeah, the international tours I've been on already. Um, there's something dramatically different uh, for me as a, as a human being in, in the last, whatever it is, six months or something since uh, I started touring. It, yeah, suddenly, as I said, like people like me are not supposed to write books according to, I don't know, dominant law or something, but also I think people are not like me are not supposed to have like a very loud voice. We're not supposed to be, uh, we're not, nobody cares about our politics or our intersections and, so it feels just, yeah, like a real honor to be able to have an audience. That's something really new for me. Yeah. And I think that so many people will find it incredibly healing to read your book and to really find their life experiences reflected back at them. And yeah, I think imagination is something that's so lacking under capitalism and, and white supremacy and other oppressive systems. I feel like we're really a big part of the work and the struggle that we're doing is just reclaiming these dreams for ourselves. I think um, I, I also have a working class background and it took me a really long time to get to this point. Uh, you know, I, I, like many people, I've worked for minimum wage for more than a decade. And so doing the next step up and, and coming to this place of feeling like yeah I can imagine that maybe I'll have better working conditions one day maybe I'll be able to save a bit of money and do do something creative was a huge jump and then 
taking the next leap of being like, oh, maybe I could actually work for myself. Like maybe that could work somehow. I would probably <laughs> overshare on the internet a lot and, you know, grow a network <laughs> and all that. But maybe that would be cool. Maybe I could mm. just work from home and like do my own thing. And so I think um, the more we see other people doing that, the more we grow in our own dreams. And so that's, um, that's been a long tangent, but what I mean is that's great. I'm so happy for you. Mm. Um, and <laughs> I would love, uh, so speaking about identities, I would love to, to hear a little bit more about what it was like to kind of form and dream up these characters that you've been writing about, because they're all so different and complex and yet they interact in these really like complex and interesting and beautiful way. So did you ever like map them out or did they just come to you in a dream? <laughs> like, what was that? <laughs> it's a really fun and weird and beautiful process. There was definitely some times when it was, okay, I need to get this character from A to B. Mm-hmm. How do I do that? And it was very kind of, I don't know, logistical or something. And there were lots of other moments that were just when you're really just flowing and you're like, this character is just a person in my heart now and they just write their own story and particularly with dialogue which i'd never written i'd never written narrative of any kind i'd basically never really written anything um so it was all very raw and very untrained so the characters just kind of did their thing and i just kind of followed along (laughs) and i really feel that with conserve and control as well the second book it's just it's um it is writing itself and i just have to be there and just like keep my fingers in the right place and, and on the keyboard and then it just happens and that that feels like a very it feels very special somehow. It feels like a real honor to be in that moment, in that in that place. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I think they, they are just doing it themselves. I'm not really that involved in it. Um, yeah. And it, of course, it also comes with editing, but there were definitely... Um, there were definitely certain characters who just got really stuck in me. Uh, in the best possible way, even the good characters, the bad characters, whatever, like they, they were arguing in my head in the middle of the night. I would like have messages from them in my dreams. It feels really like they exist in a certain way. And, um, and that's for me as, as the writer, but I've definitely had that feedback from people who enjoyed the book. People just like miss the characters or they, are excited that this thing happened i'm like oh they they're not even that's not even a thing it's just like words on a page but but in a way that's that can be really powerful and if i think of all the like characters that i've really enjoyed from i don't know tv shows or something it's true they don't really they're actors or they're words on a page but there's something in there that we can get so so connected with and i think that like it's also just the fact that it's new in many senses, but particularly writing characters that are, for example, radical sex workers or elderly trans women who are non-cis passing, or it's like there are combinations of traits or intersections that maybe I know something about and, and just are not written, are not portrayed. And so, yeah, definitely had people writing from various places in the world just going, there's this character finally (laughs) um and that feels really beautiful yeah that's great amazing um 
I know I so wanted to kind of talk to you about how the writing of the book ties in with the body work that you're doing because and let me look at the names for the two practices that you have so I'm not getting it wrong um so you have a practice called safer healing which sounds amazing and then you founded the radical bodywork network um can you tell a little bit more about how that came to be and how it ties in with the book yeah so the safer healing is at the moment, it's uh, based in Brussels, but it kind of goes wherever I go. Mm -hmm. um, I studied the last five winters, yeah, five winters, uh, in Thailand with, a, with my mentor, with my teacher in Chiang Mai. Uh, so I did Thai massage. Mm -hmm. And I came into that work through activism. So I was living in the Middle East. I was supporting uh, activists. And body work felt like a good way for me to uh, do that support work. Mm -hmm. And more recently, it's gone through many incarnations in a way, but um, most recently with Safer Healing, it feels like this very beautiful job because I get paid for it, where with, you know, dignified working conditions, as you were saying, uh, <laughs> that I totally created for myself, but it, it really worked in a way. Uh, and there's something in that as I have uh, gone through various transitions and gone through various, like, I don't know, changes in identity or something, it feels like the job that I can really, a job that I can really bring a lot of my integrity to. And in fact, the same with writing margins, it's a new moment where I can bring integrity and that actually is an advantage. Mm -hmm. uh, I think only someone with my particular experiences would be able to write something like margins. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it would just be abstract concepts. Like if Margaret Atwood writes about sex work, it doesn't really mean yeah. very much because I'm pretty sure she never sex worked a day in her life. I don't know her, but I imagine that that's true. Um, millionaire, sure. she probably doesn't need to. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and so I feel like with body work, increasingly I can just really bring myself to my practice in a way that I couldn't with all the other jobs where I had to hide certain parts of my identity in order to pass, in order to get paid, in order to keep a job or whatever. And it feels like I can bring those experiences of having received bad body work or people not understanding trans bodies or um, people not connecting class with body work in terms of uh, access and culture and, um, and how it's constructed in the West. And I can bring those parts of me and that feels really, uh, yeah, it feels like it has integrity in a, a new way for me. So it's work for sure and it's beautiful work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also think that um, Thai yoga massage in particular is to me, at least, it feels in many ways more accessible than other kinds of massage. I've trained uh, four or five years ago in, in London. Um, it's the only massage training I've done, and I chose it because it felt safer to me. And mm -hmm. I, I've never ended up offering it commercially, which is a bit of a shame, but it just hasn't fallen into place in a way that felt really safe to me. Um, but I appreciate this so deeply, and I think when I first started training, I just, uh, you know, I've always been a really physical person. I really want to understand people through consensual and beautiful touch. And 
um, it's just such a great way to learn to be, give better cuddles even, you know, mm. <laughs> that's what all I that was really, really great for me. So yeah. And the Radical Bodywork Network, um, I joined it on Facebook. I'm super excited about it. Um, what kind of conversations do you want to have within that? Like what's important to you? Yeah, it's quite new in a way. Um, and I feel like it's not quite taking off yet. Uh, but I think we need to work out exactly what we want to do with it. But basically it grew out of the, out of a few conversations I had with a dear friend of mine, um, who's also a radical body worker. And we had been involved in the radical herbalism gathering for a long time. And in a way that's that connection or that overlap is almost quite established mm-hmm. of, um, radical politics and herbalism and, feminism and queer and in a way that that's already kind of a world at least in the UK and somehow radical body work was just two words that just never fit into the same sentence because it's so connected with uh yeah decadence and and spas and and middle class white people and I don't know and it's and zero politics particularly like not even the the intersections of people who access it but really like that it just can't be a political thing and as like political people who do body work and who politicize our body work in terms of running sliding scale clinics or in terms of who we work with or what we offer or creating consent-based safer spaces and and education around that and um and through the radical herbalism for example safer healing and safer healing i also have done lots of like trans competency workshops for body workers and herbalists and so in a way we we are doing this political work but we found that nobody was really talking about it and then we kind of just pushed a few buttons and then loads of people became really interested we ran a few workshops and 50 people came and we're like okay so there's a thing here we just need to work out exactly what it is and i think we're still in that conversation but it, what it feels like it has huge potential and for me as a super political person, it's really difficult for me to do anything without politicizing it or without, and even, I think even now, like I, um, with Safer Healing, for example, I went through this very personal process of other clinics or other projects that I ran with massage. I was just wasn't getting paid enough uh, and I wasn't really surviving on it. And then this time I like, now I charge enough that I survive on it more or less. Uh, It depends month to month, but that felt like, a really big change I think also in terms of my politics because I was like well actually like if the working class trans woman isn't living from this then what the hell is the point of this political project like if this was a political project it's not a very good one um it's great that people are accessing this like super cheap um body work and even that doesn't you know like the pricing and sliding scales it's super complicated in terms of like class and honor and there's a there's a lot to it uh but really I was really screwing myself in my own project and I was like actually like maybe I should be one of the subjects of my project. So <laughs> maybe I should um, end up in a better position at the end of this than at the beginning. So I think that was a big shift for me um, rather than like these kind of abstract ideas of politics where we're helping some abstract group. And I've been in so many activist meetings, for example, where people are, have just like distant abstract subjects that they're saving under the great flag and i'm kind of like this person's right here and this person's right here and i'm right here why are we not part of this um so yeah yeah i love that you're touching on money and it being sustainable because i think that's 
a conversation that's often left out in politics, especially if, if the conversation is dominated by middle class people, because that is just not as much a pressing issue for them. Mm. <laughs> so um, I really want to, yeah, encourage these uh, conversations as, as much as possible and think about all the different ways that we can find better solutions. I'm working with sliding scales as well, and I've been really making good experiences so far and uh yeah i'm really glad that i tried i know that you're running a patreon as well so i would love to hear a little bit about that and like what was that like setting it up yeah talking of money and and class guilt and and uh, personal emotional processes yeah it's a really good link um yeah the patreon is complicated i i love it it's paying me through the winter to to write the second book it would be impossible without it um, it brings lots of people together. It, it creates this beautiful space. There's something very powerful in it. It's also very clearly me asking for help. And that was wildly difficult. And in a way, in a way, because Margins and Murmurations is its own entity, um, it feels okay for me to ask for help for my writing. Mm -hmm. more than for me even though obviously it's the same thing because I'm the one who's eating the food <laughs> and doing the work um you know she doesn't need to eat it's fine she's a book it's fine um but there's something in it that at least makes it makes that a little bit easier so all the tours for example have been um supported and funded and people have like these amazing networks of people have come through for me to support it um there's more to it than that. There's also some questioning on my part of why a book particularly can galvanize people in such a way. And all of the other projects that I did that were equally important, that were background femme work that were also classed and feminized, what do not galvanize people and did not bring the same level of attention. So there's something in there. There's, it's like books somehow are you know, it's art, it's middle class, it's something. And there's, there, 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 there are questions in my head about that. Why, why now? Why this? You know, I think it's a great project. I, I have put everything into it, but I've put everything into everything I've ever done. That's the sort of person I am. And it didn't have the same effect. It didn't lead to international tours. I mean, what a thing. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting how different things are constructed differently. Yeah, and I really hear you about finding it hard to um, ask for help as well. I have only recently started my Patreon and in some ways it feels incredible, but it's also hard. It's just hard to say, you know, to keep talking about it and remind people about it and to remember that, especially online with the very short attention span that we now have, we do have to see things on average, I think I heard seven times until we take action, even if we really mm. believe in the thing. So that's something I try and try to, yeah, remind myself of a lot. But um, I think your work is so valuable. And I, I also want to say that I think it's a really beautiful experience for people, even with the tiniest pledge to be in this experience of having an exchange with an artist. I think that can be really healing in itself because we so often don't get a chance to experience ourselves as people who can support like who are in a position to support something that we really believe in and so I think that in itself is really beautiful as well yeah it's I, I mean I, I think that I would in the in the other in the converse situation I would also really like to support someone's patron if it was like a few dollars a month or something and be part of the conversation and not I mean 
through uh, over the last few months I've been releasing the audiobook version of Margin so it's you know that's that's a fun thing it's really nice uh, but I'm also like aware that because of the kind of book it is because of the precarity of how I've brought it to people most people are like poor queers who probably shouldn't be supporting my Patreon and should probably just like go and get themselves a coffee. So, you know, I give them everything I can give them, but there's, there's, there's a certain amount of guilt and, you know, people have autonomy and they get to make their own decisions. But, um, and it has nothing to do with how grateful I am, but it, there's some, there's, there, there is confusion for me. I, I feel like it's, uh, it's a difficult check to cash or something. And there's just a process in general of, um, charging people for books and yeah I don't run the clinic on a sliding scale anymore because it just didn't work and I it wasn't sustainable and um things like that it like I've you know spent months and months applying for funding so that I would be able to offer it to more people but it you know mm. I'm not a, a very fundable person I guess but it's um it's difficult this process of valuing myself and respecting my work enough to charge the right amount for it mm-hmm. it's uh it's a process that i think a lot of people go through particularly femmes but it's it's a difficult one it's a mm-hmm. uh, it's a tough one <laughs> it's not yeah. easy yeah and it really um it really relies on the solidarity of people that are better resourced and mm. so anyone listening feeling hey i'm, I'm quite well resourced he's a great person to support you know and take, we can take that off the shoulders of you know, like you said, the careers that can probably just about afford their own coffee and stuff. Mm. So, yeah. Um, this is going to be a bit of a big and weird question. <laughs> so it's totally <laughs> fine if you don't have anything um, very specific to say about it. But um, I think the themes of your book are so important. And I would love to hear a little bit more about what your visions and dreams for our collective future are, because the book is so much about the future and dreams and yeah, I really understand it's a big question. So I would love <laughs> It's to a great that. question. I love it. <laughs> One of the things that I found interesting with Margins and Murmurations is that people read it as a dystopia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm not the first person to mention Margaret Atwood. Like people, people compare it to her work. Uh, I feel like we're in parallel universes, but sure, great. Um, you know, if I become a cis middle-class millionaire, then great. Like, I'm sure that either way we manage to write the same things. I don't know how that's possible. But um, um, yeah, so for me, it's never felt like a dystopia. It started from very optimistic images and visions of this very diverse and unified resistance movement and yes everything is really bad in terms of the state and oppression and and uh, all the many forms of oppression but everything is really bad so that part doesn't feel dystopia it just feels like totally real mm-hmm. and the only thing that is very unreal is this amazing unified diverse resistance movement that's what we don't really have um and i don't speak from you know, 20 years of being an activist um, without, without kicking our movements. That isn't really how I experienced them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might just be particularly me as a person. It might be me as a person with my intersections. It might just be that I had bad experiences. But in a way, that was the, the utopic part for me. That was like imagining what that would look like and the conversations that we'd be having and how by tweaking a few things, what would, how would we respond to this change in 
in national politics or this change in the environment or how and I think that's the speculative part of the speculative fiction and I'll be running like creative writing workshops hopefully soon and particularly around imagining politically what we want and where we're going and I kind of feel like that's really important I'm coming to this place where I'm also getting over my reverse classism and resistance to all art but I think that I um I'm a little bit embracing that actually without being able to imagine those things, we don't really know where we're going. If we can't talk about what we want, then how do we get there? There's a, there's a part of it that's missing. And I think that it comes conversely with remembering our history. And that's why in, in margins, it deals with both of those aspects. And some of the workshops I've been running, we talk about like past and histories and who gets to tell um, which story and who makes millions with Netflix and who doesn't mm -hmm. and uh, also the future speculation so like where where are we going and I think playing with that time aspect gives me a lot of freedom with uh, yeah with storytelling mm -hmm. um, while also having a lot of scenes of people trying to stay in the present and trying to stay mindful and not get pulled out um, to all of those other thoughts, because sometimes actually that's the best thing for people. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I answered your question, <laughs> but it was very big. <laughs> it was really big, and I really love what you said. But <laughs> yes, that's great. Um, maybe I will like phrase it slightly differently. Um, maybe I'm going to ask if that's cool with you where like how would you love to feel about your the gen, the, the activism of your communities in 20 years time when you look wow. at 20 years time how would you like to feel about what's unfolded i feel like centering marginal voices mm -hmm. is a very easy concept and a very difficult thing to do. And I, that's one of the things that I really tried to do with, with the imagination in the book was to show why that's difficult, why it's, you know, um, it's a struggle, but also why if we don't do that, then everything just kind of continues the same way. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely experienced that as like often a more marginal person in a lot of um, movements in Europe, for example, then I feel like that is a big challenge that people are facing and trying to find trying to find a way to bring different groups of people together, which also sounds like a very simple concept. And I very rarely see it happen. I see new subjects coming and going or something becomes a bit more cool or something. Um, definitely, I mean, maybe we passed the trans turning point. I don't think it ever happened, but there's definitely like, that is a thing that people talk about and the turfs and the trans visibility and things. And that is not a thing that people talked about 10 years ago. And I don't think that people have really got it right. And I don't think that it's particularly moving in the right direction necessarily. I think it's intersectional. I think certain people will benefit and certain people won't. But that's not a question that I had in anarchist spaces 10 years ago or a conversation and I was still there. <laughs> but it wasn't, you know, everyone's like trying to impress me with the use of the T word. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think I want both things like to be able to focus on people's needs and 
people as individuals and, and our intersections and our struggles and our oppression, and also seeing the bigger picture. Um, so as much as I do focus on trans activism, it's obviously a, a big part from, of things for me. Intersectionally, I also talk about class a lot. Um, and, and gender presentations and, and femininity and, and also the environment because in the end, the trans stuff is super, super important. Mm. And I feel part of some of those struggles and have beautiful friends who are in them. Um, and I'm also like, in a hundred years, I just want to know if we're going to have clean water or not. Um, are we going to have somewhere to live? And the two things are not separable, but I think they are really separated or conceived as being these like totally disconnected struggles. It's like, this one is for, I don't know, human rights. And this one is for this, and this is for this. And it's like, actually, unless we're doing, we need, all, we need everything. And unless all of those things are really connected, someone's going to get left behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that more and more of us are just beginning to understand how, how deeply painful it is to survive in a way that means you're leaving other people behind. I think that we've not understood that for a long time or that we have managed to stay disconnected from that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <sighs> <laughs> big answers to your big question. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, uh, I think the book really brought home to me how deeply connected imagination is to that. Um, when I'm thinking about trans issues and gender and Im imagination, I think more specifically, something that's come up for me this year and the end of year last year was so much this idea that I really want to bring imagination more to the forefront in our conversations about gender. Mm. I really want to have intimate encounters with people who can feel into the energy that I'm bringing to a um, situation or a scene or any kind of encounter rather than just staying on the visual level that we so often prioritize or um, to think about along these very binary lines that we've constructed. And, and I think, yeah, books like this will really help with that. So I'm really, I think it will have ripple effects and I'm really excited about those. As a very last question before we're going to ask you um, about how people can support your work, um, is there anything that you would say to someone who is young and maybe shares um, all or some of your identities um, and wants to create something, like what would you like this person to know? Yeah, I think being prepared for all of the um, internal resistance that mm -hmm. comes, um, this kind of internalized idea of what art is and who can produce it and what it should do and uh, who gets to do that and who gets to determine. And I found a lot of those, you know, I still can't really use the A word, like it, it like, I can't really talk about being an artist and patron is for artists. It's really terrifying. Um, so there's definitely a process in there. That's not everybody with my intersections, but that's definitely a thing that can happen. And pushing through that, I think can be really empowering and actually 
empowering for us, um, but also just uh, improving for everyone because there's no reason that it should be only a very specific group of elite people who get to produce things that other people um, enjoy or learn from. And in fact, it probably shouldn't be because in a way they know the least. Um, so it's particularly if they're talking about something like people who haven't done sex work, writing about sex work, I just kind of don't care. Um, it seems a bit odd uh, at best and colonialist at the worst. So I feel like having people being able to represent themselves. So I'd say go for it, like just push through those barriers. Um, and some of the barriers are not internalized emotional things. They're just like, it's impossible to write a book if you're, you know, living paycheck to paycheck or disability benefit from disability benefit. And that there was certain, I think the process of asking for support, but also lots of people just won't get the support. And I think that the, the system is constructed in such a way that marginalized voices are not going to get amplified and centered, even in activist movements, but certainly in the mainstream, that's not how it works in a way. Um, so I feel like we need to do, you know, I also have privilege intersections and to use those the best that I can mm -hmm. to be able to amplify voices. And it's in a way, it's such a simple concept. Um, but all of the people who declare themselves allies don't seem to get the concept, not all of them, but so many, um, are still putting themselves first. I'm like, wait, in what sense are you an ally and who decided that for you? You know, I see so much bad allyship. Um, and I'm often kind of amazed that people are not humble enough to be able to just like, you know, sit back and be quiet and just listen to what the, what the person's saying they need. Um, I think, yeah, that doesn't happen so often. So yeah, finding, being able to put out the resources and get the resources to do it is not a thing that we can assume. But the internalized stuff, are, you know, that's something that maybe we can work, work on and yeah, just doing it, just getting started, writing something down and knowing that it will be super valuable because it's difficult yeah. because that person is not being given uh, all the class privilege that makes people write books and just like, oh, here, have a thing and just write some books and uh, we will publish it to millions of people. It's like, because you don't have that, like the struggle in a way makes it I'm not saying, in a way, the struggle makes it more interesting. Precarity makes like better politics mm. or something. Um, saying that, I would also be happy to have millions of pounds and only sit around writing and I would still write really radical stuff. So I'm not saying like, you know, be poor because it's cool. Um, but I do think that there's a connection. And I, I think that the precarity that I experience wrote margins. Mm. And if I had had a different experience, it wouldn't have been written in the same way. I feel like it does represent a little bit its own, the place yeah. that it came from. Yeah, yeah. I, I love how you articulated that. I think it's something that I find sometimes is really hard to find words for this really sweet spot between wanting marginalized voices so badly to believe in themselves more, but at the same time being really heartbroken about people that are like, oh, look, if I can do it, everyone can do it. And like, everyone can have a Patreon because it really doesn't work that way. The, the internet is just not as democratic as we would like to think it is. Mm -hmm. And um, it takes a lot of resources to build the kind of community that will support a Patreon, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, or to even make space and time to sit down and write. So I'm 
yeah, I'm so glad it has worked and I can't wait for the second book. Um, yeah, before we go, can you tell people how they can support your work and where they can find you? So I'd love to hear your website and your social media channels. And if people can't remember them, I put them all in the show notes as well. So not to worry. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the main um, resource for other things would be the website, which is otterleaf.com, L-I-E-F-F-E.com. And uh, from there, you'll get connections to Margins and Conserve when it's coming out. Uh, right now, I'm running a, a selfie competition for Conserve and Control. So just, you know, a little plug for that because I'm getting to see everyone's beautiful faces with the book uh, to enter a raffle to win a few copies of the book. Um, I'm on Facebook and things and Instagram and all those things, but I'm, you know, I'm a grandma. I'm still working it all out. I don't know how any of these things will work particularly. And I literally didn't have them at all before I needed to have them a year and a half, two years or something ago. Uh, so everything is a bit new. And I, I think that's interesting, like w what you're saying, that something like a patron, in a way, the idea is that it makes it's supposed to make things more democratic. Lots of people kind of crowdfund your art. Uh, I hate the word, but let's say it. And um, and it's not so simple. If you don't have contacts, that won't work because no one will do anything. If you don't have an internet connection and a bank account and a thing and a thing and a thing, it's it still involves loads of really like uh, difficult things that are hard to obtain. And having experience like starting from zero with Facebook, for example, and then building a presence out of nothing. Um, I work 80 hour weeks and I, I consider that like the hard work because I'm precarious and because I have to like push things uphill because it doesn't happen automatically, but also the privilege that I get to work 80 hour weeks because I'm not just surviving right now. I like mm -hmm. get to work a lot on something that I really love that doesn't pay the bills mm -hmm. um, at all. And it feels that's, yeah, it, it, it's a funny combination of things. Uh, Patreon.com slash Otterleaf. Mm -hmm. Yes. There it is. I said it. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Otterleaf. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> that's amazing. Anything else you want to share? I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and for your thoughts. Oh, I did want to ask if you um, get to go down to see the, the murmurations at any point, the starlings. Do you I go to the beach? I do go to beach. I have seen a few, but and I also see some. I live out in Bevendeen, um, mm. at the edge of the woods here. So we go into the a little bit of woodland here almost every day, me and my dog, and we do see them. Yeah, it's mm, beautiful. Really beautiful. And their songs are amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Bye. Bye.